0: This is episode zero, the So What episode, with your hosts, Michael and Ryan. You're listening to the Business of Intelligence, a podcast that explores how intelligence serves decision makers beyond the traditional national security audience. Tune in as we connect with some of the world's leading practitioners working at the intersection of business and risk in order to analyze and discuss the field of private sector intelligence. We'll talk about what's working, what isn't, and how intelligence is helping organizations navigate today's global operating environment. Welcome, everyone, to the very first episode of the Business of Intelligence podcast, or episode zero, as we're calling it. I'm your host, Ryan, and I am incredibly happy to be joined by my good friend and co-host, Michael. Hey, Ryan. Great to be here. Hey, so before we get started, we wanted to start with just a quick note and say that the views and opinions expressed on the podcast, they are our own. They don't necessarily reflect the views of the organizations that we currently work for. So we wanted to get that out of the way. But welcome, my friend. I know this took a little bit longer than we had originally planned. And that that can be the case when we're both living in different countries and there's big life events that sort of get in the way. But here we are. And thank you so much for helping make this happen.
1: Yeah, definitely right back at you. I mean, we've definitely worked through some uh, administrative tech and time space logistics issues. So uh, I think it's important that the bright side is we're going to deliver a great product going forward.
0: Yeah, I hope so. I'm, I'm really looking forward to it. And, you know, I was, I was trying to go back in my mind and, and think about When we first met, because I feel like I've known you for years, but I think we somehow connected via email because I know you were doing a ton of research on transitioning to the private sector and then we met up in Vienna. So I I don't know if you want to share your perspective or share with any with everyone, you know, just a little about how we met and sort of became connected.
1: Yeah, no, you know, I was thinking about it and goes back to, like you said, probably mid-2018. i kind of made a conscious decision to start looking more into the private sector intel space and just learning about the different opportunities out there. I think I got to give a shout out to Angela Lewis over at uh, Disney. She gave me some great advice, mentioned ARIP, the Association of International Risk Professionals, Intelligence Professionals. And sounded like a, a great forum to learn more about the, the space. And I remember sending you an email probably mid-summer, late summer 2018, just touching base, then uh, just through a series of events uh, because I was in Stuttgart, Germany already ended up in vienna for the pulse 360 conference and uh you and several other people there it was it was just kind of amazing to to meet everyone learn more about it and you know i was thinking you know like my wife always jokes i think we just had a lot of common ground common experiences and yeah definitely definitely was kind of an instant friendship
0: yeah, it, it was great to connect and Vienna was a lot of fun. And, you know, for anyone listening who might be thinking about transitioning from the public to the private sector, you know, number one, we're certainly going to do an episode or two about that. I know it's an important topic, but number two, I think people need to talk to you and pay attention to, to what you've been doing and how you've done it, because I don't I don't think I've ever, want, I've ever seen anyone take such a, a good approach. So kudos to you. But anyway, before we really get started and dive in, I, I thought we could explain to everyone why we're calling this episode zero and and specifically the so what episode. And I guess what it really just comes down to is wanting to set the stage, you know, for what's to come. And so I would summarize it as this, you know, we want to give everyone a sense of what to expect, you know, why this podcast should matter. And really just sort of offer something meaningful to, I think, our friends, our colleagues, and anyone listening who will hopefully come back (laughs) for episode one. So why don't we go ahead and dive in? And I know it's it's just the two of us today. So we're going to start with you, my friend. And I was hoping that you could tell us a little bit about yourself. And what I would really love to know is, you know, how did you end up where you are today? And how did you become interested in the field of intelligence?
1: Yeah. One of the things I was really excited about us moving forward with this project is, is just, I think in a way, my career has always been near the intersection of business and risk. You know, as we were planning for this podcast, I, I was realizing that my formal intelligence career began almost 20 years ago now in uh, October, 2001. I was living in New York at the time and. Like, you know, you and I have discussed in the past, 9-11 was definitely a definitive moment in my life. Uh, I was on a subway in lower Manhattan on my way to work about two stops before the World Trade Center. We got evacuated. And just as I reached the street level, the second plane had just hit the World Trade Center. So, um, definitely gave me a different perspective on life. I was a lieutenant in the army reserves at the time. I'd always wanted to be a military intelligence officer and it just hadn't worked out to that point. And the following weeks, I canvassed uh, several military intelligence units in the area, finally found one that had an open slot and Unfortunately, that open slot was due to one of the reservists had been a firefighter in one of the towers. So yeah, I think it kind of added a deeper sense of gravity and importance to what I was trying to do. And, you know, after that, started training up and went to Fort Wachuca, some of the different training programs there for military intelligence officers I think career-wise at that point, I had already earned my MBA in finance, and I was an analyst in the financial services industry, and luckily, it turned out a lot of skills of a risk analyst directly translated to intelligence work. You know, one of the things that I think that we're definitely going to address in future episodes is people not only trying to strengthen and professionalize the intelligence space, but also trying to have some episodes to help people that might want to transition into it. I was definitely a late bloomer myself. Luckily, coming from a finance background, I was already used to supporting business units, analyzing companies, researching geopolitical events, interviewing clients, and delivering truth to senior professionals. I think an added value I had coming from a Wall Street background was a big requirement for the trading floors was always flexibility and adaptability to changing circumstances. And being able to be decisive and confident in your opinions and being able to explain your rationale to senior leaders. That was something I'd particularly emphasize to people entering the profession is being able to operate in crisis management situations. It gives you an opportunity to provide a lot of value to those around you. 2004, I was brought on active duty by the Defense Intelligence Agency for two years At DIA, I was exposed to some amazing opportunities I hadn't known existed before for army officers. First year, I was in Djibouti city Djibouti for six months, uh, living in the city, building networks with international law enforcement security professionals. Did a follow on assignment in Addis Ababa at the US Embassy. And then my second year was another watershed uh, career move, uh, personally and professionally. It was 2005, if you and I as discussed, uh, Iraq was definitely heating up. 30 days after I married my wife, Cora, I deployed to Iraq to directly support the counterterrorism operations there. That was probably one of my career highlights, was being part of the task force with Stan Crystal and some other legendary intel and special operations types, and, and really witnessing how leaders are able to synthesize information, turn it into its actionable form, and drive operations. And I think, uh, as you and I have talked about over the years, it's definitely something that is 100% transferable to the private sector. I mean, take out government, military, all those things, people in roles where information can benefit them to make better operational and strategic moves, that's where intelligence professionals add value. After two years of active duty, I was hooked. When my orders were ended, I went back to Prudential Securities, where I'd been working at the time, thanked them for all the support, and started my civilian government career. Stayed in the Army Reserves over the years. Still, right now, a foreign area officer focused on European geopolitical issues. And had a pretty exciting career, different locations. You know, Afghanistan's a shared experience we have had and spent a lot of time in Mexico, and most recently, Europe and Italy. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, just in a, you know, more humorous way, I think I'd always wanted to be an intelligence. Yeah, I think going back to my childhood, just growing up in New York, being experienced in different cultures, wanting to travel, inheriting my mother's wanderlust, and, of course, uh You know, as I always joke around, some of the movies, whether it's uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark or basically any movie that involved travel or espionage, I always found interesting. But, you know, final plug, I'll say, which, again, we'll get back to later, is for anyone out there looking to get into intelligence, as a late bloomer myself, you know, I'm always very inspired to try to help people learn more about the industry, whether it's the public sector, military or private side. But enough about you, me, Ryan. Give us a little more details about your background. Uh, like I said, I think uh, everyone, you know, everyone's always interested in learning more about you and hearing how you got into this. <laughs> I don't know about that. It's pretty boring, actually, compared to what you just said. And I didn't want to stop
0: you because I was taking it all in. And I mean, it's it's just so fascinating. You've had this, I feel like, crazy journey. So. I'll talk about myself a little bit. But before I do that, I have two quick follow ups, if you can. The first is, if you can share this, I'm I'm dying to know how many countries you've been to. And I know you love travel with something we talk about all the time. And then did you ever think about going back to finance during any of
1: this? Or were you just totally hooked? well let's see okay first question travel i definitely love exploring new places immersing myself in different cultures trying to learn as much as i can before i go but then really immersing myself in it and trying to understand the culture the language the practices as best as possible been to over 60 countries now Definitely want to hit some more before it's over. I still have two or three countries in Europe I want to hit, but uh, I'd like to go back to Africa, see more of Asia. Finance, you know, it's it's a funny thing because I, I think sometimes during my transition, I think people can kind of get labels. So it's funny sometimes I think. I might talk to people in the outside world where they're like, oh, you're a government professional or you're a military guy where, you know, it's funny. I think I think throughout my military and government career, I've kind of sometimes been all oh, the finance guy or the business guy. So, you know, I think I uh, that background for anyone out there who, who would like to go to the public sector for a while, I think having a private sector foundation is so important. It just kind of gives you a a different thought process and how people make decisions. There's no right way, but it just it's just different process as you know working in a large corporation. It's crossed my mind, but I you know as we'll as we'll delve deeper into future episodes. I really am truly passionate about intelligence, but also the security aspect of it where trying to keep people and obviously corporations and brands trying to keep them safe because it's a something I'm passionate about and be something I, I think I'm pretty good at. And I like to try to share that knowledge and experience to help people be better at themselves.
0: Yeah, that's great. And I, I do think on a future episode, maybe we'll talk about the benefits of going public, private, private, public, you know, just the idea of going back and forth and how that can sort of round you out. With whatever you're doing, so that's that's a really interesting concept to me. And then, just final point from my perspective, I've got one of my bucket list items in life is to visit every country in the world. I'm not sure if I'll ever be able to make it happen, but maybe we can hit a few of those together.
1: So, (laughs) yeah, no, we've definitely hit some interesting ones. Uh, You know, I think we got to add a couple more, but absolutely, you know, just one uh, call to action, which I'll, I'll try to remember later, but just in case we forget, is that. You know, I really do would like to see uh, more in the future of what I like to call a revolving door between the private sector and the public space, because, you know, I think there's a lot of skills and nuances that each provide, and it just makes people better, professional intelligence people, but it also helps organizations because you're sharing different types of experiences, and, you know, I think it can make the public sector and private sector spaces better.
0: Yeah, totally agree. Totally agree, great point. I'll give everyone just a little bit of background about myself. I'll I'll start with the basics. I've been an Intel professional in some capacity for about 18 years now. It's it's hard for me to say that and hard to believe it's gone by so quickly. A majority of that is due to my military background and specifically military intelligence. So like yourself and many others out there, that is how I cut my teeth, so to speak, Um, to include in places like Afghanistan and Iraq, which, you know, looking back, were just really amazing experiences. And honestly, what helped confirm for me that working in intelligence is something that I love to do. And it was something that just didn't seem like work to me. So, you know, to that point, I actually still serve today. I'm I'm in the Army Reserves. I lead a unit that provides intelligence support to one of the U.S. combatant commands, which is fantastic. And it speaks to what we just kind of talked about in that I'm still able to keep one foot in the public sector, which is something that's really important to me. However, I would tell you that, you know, for most of my life, I actually wanted to be a lawyer. <laughs> so I ended up getting a law degree. I was really interested in national security law and international law, but for whatever reason, and I I didn't learn this right away, it took me a minute, but I just learned that there was something about it that just didn't speak to me. So I guess you could say I proceeded to squander that law degree um, by deciding at some point before I graduated law school that I wasn't going to practice and I instead wanted to pursue a career in intelligence so to make a long story short, I ultimately, and and luckily I would add, I landed at a large company that was looking to build out an intelligence program. And now I've been a private sector practitioner for about nine years now. So, you know, one quick note before I move on, I know I said I squandered my degree, but, you know, if there's anyone out there that's listening that is practicing law and you're thinking about a career change I'm here to tell you that I actually think that it helped me become the practitioner I am today. I think it's a great educational background for analysts. If there are any lawyers out there looking for a career change, take a hard look at intelligence analysis. And uh, if you wanna round out your professional education with a law degree, it might be helpful as well. Just just make sure that somebody else pays for it is what I would say. Now, in terms of what got me specifically interested in intelligence, it it really does date back to the time around 9-11. And I know you spoke to this and that was such a meaningful experience for you. So before 9-11, I was doing a military exercise and I, I wasn't in intelligence at the time. I was an infantry soldier. And so I remember receiving a briefing from the unit's intelligence officer prior to the start of this really big exercise. And I was thinking to myself that you know, this is actually really bad and not what our team needs to be successful. And this person is supposed to be helping us. But I I learned later on that he wasn't an intelligence officer. He was actually from another branch and he was just sort of shoved or forced into, into the position. And I can't even explain it today, but for some reason that didn't sit right with me. And I felt like there was some sort of opportunity there, I guess, And, you know, I know it sounds like a meaningless scenario, but there were a couple of takeaways from that. The first was that it it made me realize that I actually really enjoy helping people and I wanted to invest in setting others up for success. And so that was that sort of just shown through for whatever reason. And the second is and it's something that we'll definitely talk about on the podcast. And that's this idea or belief that intelligence work should be done by intelligence practitioners And the fact that it's not in many scenarios, you know, in this case, it was the military. I've seen this in the private sector as well. But the fact that it's not in certain scenarios might say something about the fact that this is still a craft, I think, and and not yet a profession. And I know that's that's something we'll talk about quite a bit as well. So if you fast forward just a bit, 9-11 happens. I'm in college when that happens. And honestly, I mean, there's so much to say here in terms of how that impacted me, but I'll I'll keep it to this. What stands out or what stood out in my mind from that day was the question of why, you know, why would anyone want to do this to us? You know, that was ironically the question that my mom asked when she called me that morning to let me know what had happened. Mm -hmm. I somehow remembered that my first class that morning was in international politics. And I remember the professor asking that. To the class. I remember, you know, all my friends, all the students were asking why, why did this happen? Why would anyone want to do this? And so I think I decided then that I I wanted to play some sort of role in, in figuring out why that happened and answering that question. And so I was in an ROTC program at the time and I was slated to become a military officer. But I was slated to become an infantry officer, actually, and that's when I made the decision to switch to intelligence. So that's what I eventually ended up doing. But beyond that, there's, there's a couple of other things I guess I would share that brought me to where I am today. The first is that I grew up in a very, very rural area, so there was always this curiosity about the world and what was beyond my teeny tiny little corner of it. So I wanted to do things and find work that would somehow connect me to the rest of the world in some way. So that was definitely a factor. The other factor is I as I've gotten older, is that for whatever reason, I've always been attracted to the business world. And I would constantly think about how what I had learned as an Intel officer could be applied in the business world. And I just became absolutely convinced that the same fundamentals, the same processes, the same approaches could be successful. At least, you know, surely there was going to be some tweaking, right? Not everything's going to fit perfectly, but I felt like those same approaches could be successful. And I wanted to test that theory. And little did I know at the time that there actually was this private sector community of intelligence practitioners that had really been steadily growing since 9-11 happened. What also helped was a very practical reason in that my significant other and I, we, we were just not interested in moving to Washington, D.C. at the time, you know, when we started looking for jobs. And I think as an aspiring intelligence professional, that's where everyone assumes you're going to end up. That's where you have to go. But it forced me to start looking at the private sector. And then I actually caught a break. I found this nonprofit called American Corporate Partners. And if anyone's listening who's currently in the military, please take note of this organization. But ACP, or American Corporate Partners, mentors military veterans by connecting them with someone in the business world to help make the transition into the private sector. And so I got connected with somebody at Deloitte who really just opened my eyes to the world of crisis management and risk management and related fields. And that's when I realized that the private sector did have this world that I was looking for. And I started seeing job postings that, that told me as much. And I started focusing my efforts on the private sector. And that's where I eventually landed. So that is my story in a nutshell. And I'm sticking to
1: it. <laughs> but yeah, go ahead. Yeah, and I actually had uh, two follow-on questions for you, Ryan. First one, going to law school and becoming a lawyer. I mean, that that's definitely a, a serious commitment. So how difficult was it for you to change course, you know, mid, midstream, you know, uh, you know, even past midstream where you're already about to finish, like how, you know, could you walk us through the the difficulty in that decision process for you?
0: Yeah, abs- absolutely. So there were two life lessons I learned during this sort of three-year period. One was, you know, a good one. One was a not so good one. So after my first year, not even after my first year, during my first year, I knew I had made a mistake you know, I had had this idea that it was something I wanted to do my entire life. Growing up, my mom was a legal secretary, and so I was just around the field, I guess, and it's it's just something I had always wanted to do and but after that first year, I just realized it it wasn't for me. And you know, I started to question myself whether or not I had made the right decision, could I pivot to something else? And so I, I did what I always do, which is I gather feedback. I want to get different perspectives from people. So I, you know, I spoke to all my friends. I spoke to my family members. I spoke to, you know, my significant other at the time now spouse, and they all told me you're crazy. Why would you ever, you got to keep going. You're not a quitter. It's not like you, you know, you just got to keep going. And, so I agreed. I decided to to keep going. I wasn't a quitter. I was going to finish what I started, et cetera, et cetera. But I will tell you that in my gut, I I knew I was making a mistake. But I went ahead anyway. And so, fast forward, I'm I'm getting towards the end, and you sort of have to make a decision around. You know, taking the bar exam and there's some prep that comes with that. You know, as soon as you graduate law school, you, you pretty much jump right into a bar prep course, which is pretty intense. And obviously that's a critical test because if you don't pass it, you're not going to become an attorney. So I just decided I'm not doing it. You know, I'm not going to take the bar exam. I know why would I do that when I know I don't want to be an attorney and others again the same people came back to me to include my family and just said just study take the bar exam give yourself that flexibility and i just felt like if i did that then it would almost be like a giving myself an out to not pursue something else and so i just wanted to go all in and i i said no i'm not i'm not taking it i'm going to do something else and so at this point i'm in you know the reserve so i'm doing the military part time actually went on orders and deployed to Iraq after law school. And so that actually bought me some time to, number one, be employed, and number two, have time to think about what I wanted to do. And so yeah, to summarize it all up, I mean, it was it was a really difficult decision, but I just felt like I didn't want to do it, and I wasn't going to spend the rest of my life doing something I didn't want to do. And ironically enough, over the years, I've had follow-on conversations with my wife and with some of my friends who had advised me, and we all kind of look back and laugh. And they say, you know, we thought you were an idiot at the time, but now, you know, who's the idiot now? Like, we, we wish we could have done something like that. And I don't know about that. I mean, so many of them have went on to become, you know, really successful um, attorneys, but we all
1: have a, a good laugh about it. So, yeah. So that's where I landed. Uh, legals loss, our gain. And uh, I guess the a second question I'd ask, because I, I think a lot of people are curious about this, but we could probably do a whole episode on this. But I've balanced a career and a reserve career, which I know you are. But but you do so much more, whether it's speaking at events or. Doing charity work or mentoring veterans—like, how do you find how do you find the ability to manage your time at such a high level? I think that's something a lot of people would be interested in hearing.
0: Oh my goodness, yeah, this this could be another episode because I, I'm I certainly admit to being sort of a productivity geek, and you know I've tried to maximize my time to do the things that I love and you kind of have to specialize in that, I suppose, if you want to fit everything in. I mean, it just comes down to the fact that, you know, I just try to prioritize the things that I'm passionate about and that I do love. And if that's the case, you you will make the time. I mean, you will figure out a way. And, um, you know, there's little tactics and techniques, of course, that you can incorporate to make sure that you're fitting everything in and prioritizing what it is that you do. But It just all comes down to, I think, planning and really just prioritizing what's important to you and just realizing that the most important thing in your life besides, you know, I guess your, of course, your health, your friends, your family is, is your time. That's the most precious sort of asset you have. So just thoughtfully and deliberately thinking about how you want to use it and you can, you can fit in so much more than you would ever imagine. So yeah, thanks for the follow-up questions. It's 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 fun to kind of go back and just think about the past and how I landed on that decision. And I guess what I didn't say earlier in terms of how I became interested in, in intelligence is just the idea of decision-making in general, because there are certainly times where I'm not sure I ended up or how I ended up where I am today, because I've made some questionable decisions over my life and you know, over the course of my life. And it's Luckily, I am still here today, but um, yeah, that's another aspect of why I'm so interested in this field is trying to help others make the best possible decisions. So so anyway, why don't we switch gears just for a moment and perhaps talk about what are, what matters most, I think, and that's tell everyone why we're doing this podcast. So I thought maybe I'd go ahead and kick us off and, and just share a few thoughts, and then I would love to get your perspective if that
1: works. Absolutely.
0: Why don't we start with a few core beliefs here that I know we feel, we both feel pretty strongly about, and I think these are really gonna set the tone for the podcast. And so the first is just this idea that the implementation of intelligence functions in private sector organizations should be the norm. I mean, I really feel strongly that every large organization, if you have the resources, if you have the capability, you should have an intelligence function. And it shouldn't be the exception. And, you know, there's been tremendous growth in this space, but I think just having a function is also not enough. So I think many of the the remits of today's programs actually need to be expanded in order for a function to reach its potential and for the organization to realize that potential to include receiving decision support across a broad spectrum of risks and opportunities. So that would be one. The second belief is that intelligence should be a distinct business discipline, you know, just like HR, just like finance, just like security, or many others in the business world. And for right now, I, I'm, you know, using that word intelligence as an umbrella term, but we'll further define that down the road because I know it might mean different things to different people. The third belief is that in order for all that to happen, you know, the the things I just talked about. I think we really, really need to demystify, <laughs> as our mutual friend Maria likes to say, we need to demystify the field to help make it a reality. And so what that means is that we need to stop operating as if intelligence shouldn't be talked about or should be kept in the background or that it should operate in the shadows No, that is not the answer. We are not going to professionalize. We are not going to advance the field if we continue to act like that. So we have to demystify this thing. And then finally, somebody was asking me actually not too long ago, you know, why did you guys use the name the business of intelligence or how did you come up with that? And so the name really speaks to this belief that in the private sector, I think a great philosophy to have and adopt to be successful is to really run your intelligence function like a business. And obviously there are numerous components to running a business. So what we want to do with this podcast is actually talk about and analyze those components, break them down, what's working, what's not, how can we get better. And so if we sort of use those core beliefs that I just talked about as an inspiration, what it all leads to really is this for everyone listening. We're going to explore how intelligence is being used to serve those decision makers in the private sector. And we're going to do that by connecting with some of the world's leading intelligence practitioners, which I just absolutely cannot wait to do that, to analyze and discuss the business of private sector intelligence, to include all those component parts And what I might be most excited about, besides, of course, connecting with so many interesting people, is that a major area of focus for us is definitely going to be innovation, because we also believe there's some major breakthroughs that are needed right now in order to move the field forward and professionalize, which is another long-term goal of ours and, and one shared by an organization, Michael, that you already mentioned, which is the Association of International Risk Intelligence Professionals which is, you know, full transparency. It's an industry association that we're both close to, one that we really believe in and, and one that we'll no doubt mention over and over again. So yeah, I'll, I'll stop there and just see if you had any follow-up points or, or questions for me.
1: Great points. All of them. I guess just some amplifying statements I'd make is that your point one organization should definitely consider implanting intelligence functions. You know, sadly enough, I've sat through intelligence briefings early on in my reserve career, similar to yours, where they had someone that someone just ordained you're the intel officer, even though they didn't necessarily have the background or training or personality to accomplish that role. So I think it's important to develop a intelligence program and have motivated, trained, and competent people in that function to ensure it's delivering the best product possible. As far as uh, evolving into a distinct discipline, I think in uh, any organization, there has to be some autonomy where in order to, to maximize the value of the intelligence professionals, there has to be direct connectivity between them and the decision-maker so they fully understand what the decision-maker is looking for, and the decision-maker understands the full capability of his intelligence unit. And as far as demystifying goes, yeah, we could definitely have whole episodes on this, but I think it's, uh, it's important, A... To make sure people around you understand what's possible and what's not possible, what's legal, ethical, and be able to fully explain the true value proposition of what intelligence professionals can bring to the table. And lastly, I'd say intelligence professionals should be brand ambassadors for the field. And a recurring theme that will hit is how to how to change it into a professional trait, not just not just a topic.
0: Yeah, great. All great points. And I know ones that we're going to touch on, you know, multiple times in the future. One thing I'll circle back to quickly before we start talking about who it is that we want to serve is what do we want our listeners to get out of this? And so I'll just, just highlight a couple of things quickly. So number one, we're going to be seeking answers to what I think are the most challenging and provocative questions that we're all facing as practitioners right now. You know, I think you and I made a conscious decision that let's adopt this mantra of let's focus on what matters most and and sort of choose those ideas or those questions that we're all thinking about on a constant basis. But, you know, as a result of that, we want to focus on providing some practical advice on the way in terms of how we as practitioners work to include, as I mentioned earlier, you know, what's working, what isn't, and what needs to change or improve. And then I think with innovation as a major focus, I really do hope we can provide and facilitate some breakthroughs and access to new ideas that I suppose really just disrupt and or complement the way that we work so current and future generations of our friends, colleagues, intelligence practitioners can really thrive. So so I wanted to speak to that, and I know that you just sort of covered – A number of important points in terms of why we're doing this podcast and why should anyone listen and so maybe we can sort of transition over to you know who is the podcast meant to serve and so
1: would you want to sort of kick us off in terms of that that phase yeah absolutely Ron I think one you know one audience that's near and dear to our hearts are the the intelligence professionals out there who are practicing the trade day to day I think you know at least my my view of intelligence is that it's an art in the sense where i don't think we can necessarily prove our our knowledge or worth strictly by what training courses we've accomplished or how long we've been doing the job it, it's something that we we constantly need to refine and improve our trade and as you said i, I think we're going to have some outstanding guests in the future who are going to be able to share how they've approached problems or how they make a greater impact on their organization where we can all learn from each other. Because uh, I, I do think, you know, I'm really excited personally to, to just hear how other people approach problems, make sure, you know, I'm doing the best I can and, and try to improve my game. I think another key audience, of course, would be decision makers. You know, that might be a longer tent in the poll, but over time, I'd really like to expand our listening base to include people that are actually consumers of the intelligence and hear success stories of how they have implemented intelligence analysis to make critical decisions in a corporation. And, you know, I think a subset would be new professionals as, uh, you know, I think you and I both had kind of unorthodox approaches to how we got into the field. And, uh, you know, I'd really like to provide insight for people on how they could get into the fields, no matter where they are in their current careers, whether they're just starting out or mid-career looking to transition. I think we'll definitely be able to provide content to help all those audiences.
0: You know, well said, I especially that last one. I can't wait to focus on, you know, new professionals or those transitioning, making a career change. And I think we've got a couple of people in mind that can really help us out and, and speak to some of those challenges and how we can solve them. So, listen, I, I mean, I think you hit the nail on the head. And I know for, for everyone listening, it might sound a little bit broad, but we want to speak to this more broadly. You know, our original focus was focusing on anyone really working at the intersection of business and risk. And there was this concerted effort to be broad because we know that there's this vast ecosystem out there of communities and practitioners who are both creating and consuming intelligence. So we're big believers that Intel can be and is being used to support all types of business decisions. So I think whether you're an analyst or you're in security risk management, government relations, public affairs, you know, all the way up to the C-suite, I think we're going to be able to add value to and, and serve a pretty diverse audience. So – you know, going back to this diverse ecosystem of practitioners, I think the really fun part for us, and I, I know you're excited about this too, but it's, it's going to be identifying and exploring what that ecosystem looks like in an effort to, to really open some eyes and show just how much interesting, valuable and necessary work is being done outside the traditional worlds that people automatically think of when they think of intelligence whether that's national security, defense, policymakers, or, or something related. So, you know, as we continue to talk about this, and I'm listening to you, I'm, I'm starting to get really excited for what's, what's to come, and I hope everyone enjoys it, which – you know, if you have some follow-up by all means, but I will just go ahead and tee up our next question for you, which is, do you have any inspirations for the business of intelligence? You know, anything that you're looking to that's adding a little fire or motivation?
1: Yeah, I think, I think my call to action for our audience would be, to really get as involved as possible and learn from what our guests are sharing with us. And more importantly, I think you'll get into it a little later is have three hundred and sixty feedback, like let us know how you'd like to progress. Like what would you like to learn from the podcast? What guests would you like to see? Because uh, you know, I I think, you know, what I really like to see is, is our passion come to fruition on, on serving as a, I guess a meeting spot, for lack of a better word, for practitioners and people that use the information and how we can all work together to improve the intelligence profession. I mean, it's already got, uh, you know, I hate to say improve because it already is in a very good place. But again, going back to my, my view that Intel is an art, I think we can always be perfecting and refining our skills. And the way to do that is, Kind of touching on some other things we talked about by demystifying, sharing the knowledge we have, listening to how people are are using intelligence, or different ways to just basically advance their profession. That that's really what I'm looking forward to. Uh, you know, I, like you said, I, I get excited thinking about it. Great,
0: great. And any inspirations for the podcast? You know, anything that you sort of look to that I don't know, just. Gives you motivation, or that maybe we should be looking at or relying on to help, you know, sort of drive us forward?
1: I think, uh, you know, from, I, you know, I think, uh, if, you know, we've discussed among ourselves just having like different arcs. I think one thing that we'd like to add value is by touching on a theme, but then building on it. So, you know, if we have a particular guest who's very interesting. Yeah, you know, I think it's important to to have a follow up, involve them in future episodes and also have people that follow up on key uh, key themes, whether it's uh, career development, you know, something that uh, we can have people continuously listen in to refine their career search. If it's people building a program, learn more about how other people are doing it in different organizations to ensure that they understand the best way to go. You know, I think from a personal note, I'm definitely looking forward to hearing some influential people, not only in the intelligence profession, but in the business world and and hearing how they're using intelligence to their benefit.
0: Yeah, cheers to that. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait to talk to so many different people. So, you know, from my end, I was just thinking about some inspirations and I'm a huge fan as you know, and I think you are too, but of Tim Ferriss and for those who haven't heard of Tim Ferriss, a quick Google search will reveal quite a bit about, you know, who he is, but I think what he's probably most well known for at the moment is his business podcast called the Tim Ferriss show. And in that show, he's known for eliciting really practical and actionable advice for his listeners. And so that's something I've always admired and appreciated and and something I hope we can do here because, I do want people to walk away with something that's almost tangible, if you will. And then I think we'd be remiss if we didn't mention our good friend Chuck Randolph and his partner uh, Chris Story. They do a podcast called Conversations in Close Protection. I know it's one that we both really enjoy listening to, and you know Chuck has given us a lot of good tips and lessons learned, and you know just general guidance. So if you guys are listening, thank you guys, you know, for the inspiration and support and advice we really appreciate it. So, all right. Well, listen, why don't we get ready to close this out and let's talk about what's next. And, you know, I, I honestly, I think you just hit on a few of these things with some of the the story arcs, if you will, or the episode arcs, which is a great idea. There's so much opportunity there, but if you can speak to this a little bit
1: further, you know, what should everyone expect in the coming weeks? Absolutely. I don't want to give too much away, but, uh, you know, I'm excited, uh, for our first few episodes. Definitely looking to bring on some guests that started out in the public sector and have successfully made the transition to the corporate world. Here's some of their practical advice on what they've learned from both sides of the house and how they're implementing it in the private sector. We we'll also have some people that going back to your theme of innovation that are definitely advocates on incorporating intelligence and innovation in not just tech companies, but in other, other corporate environments as well. And down the road, I think, you know, we're also looking to definitely have some, some senior leaders who have excelled in former military environments that are now in the C-suite level briefing people. So, uh, in just, going that full circle, making sure that there's the private sector and the public sector sharing information at ensuring that intelligence is as good as it could be. Excellent.
0: Yeah, great. I, I, I'm looking forward to the same. You know, some of the themes or questions that we've already been asked, let me touch on these for a moment. And, you know, I think it, it some of these are going to repeat what you already said, but I think that's worthwhile because you start to see these trends and we're starting to learn like What are those things that are really the most important, you know, to the teams and practitioners out there? And so, you know, some of the themes or questions that we've already been asked would include, you know, the following. I would say the most popular question would be, you know, how to effectively build an intelligence program. So that's certainly an arc that we'll pursue, you know, right up front because everyone's so interested in that. You know, what's both the current state and the future of intelligence in the private sector look like? That's another popular one. Of course, Michael, you've hit on this, but how do you break into the field of private sector intelligence and build a career? Can't wait to dive into that one. Uh, What's the most effective way to lead intelligence analysts? So some management and leadership styles and best practices and tactics. Here's Here's a provocative one. Uh, you know, somewhat provocative anyway, because I know a lot of practitioners out there work in the space of travel risk management and it's something that they're really passionate about. But one of the questions that's popped up is, are country risk ratings actually relevant for business travelers? So that's a very, very specific question. I think we can probably expand on that and just talk about a, a number of things more broadly. But um, I wanted to share that and then can we actually anticipate the future to help business leaders make better decisions you know that's a question that pops up quite a bit as well so You know, those are just a few sort of insights into, you know, what people have been asking about thus far. But again, if there's something that you would like to see or hear about, please let us know. I'd also note that we're currently working on the blog and the website. So in the not so distant future, we'll be turning on the blog and everyone can tap into our show notes and our other upcoming work. The show notes being a lot of the things that we mention, whether it's a particular resource or an organization or just a high level of something of what we talk about with our guests. So we look forward to having that soon for everyone. I would also say that, you know, you can expect to connect with us right now, actually on LinkedIn under the Business of Intelligence podcast. And beyond that, we'll see what other type of social presence we want to have, but we're going to, we're definitely going to focus on LinkedIn for now and we'll see what comes after that. And really that's it. I think you know, it's about time to close out. But before we do that, Michael, let me give you the last word and, you know, anything, whether it's a call to action, any follow-up
1: questions you have, I'll I'll turn it over to you again. Thanks, Ryan. I think, uh, again, my main call to action would be uh, just to challenge people to challenge us. We're definitely willing to talk about any topic, invite any guests and, Yeah, I think one thing just to add that we didn't mention was in a different, in addition to guests, we're also looking to have you and I discuss certain topics that we think might be beneficial to the audience. Uh, I think travel security is a big one of them. It's something that we're both very passionate about. And I think we have our own views on risk ratings by country versus individual. You know, just going back to inspirations, there's a lot of, you know, a lot of good books and resources out there that, you know, I'd like to delve deeper into just maybe to inspire people, whether it's Team of Teams by Stanley McChrystal or, or some of the other books and articles that we've discussed that are, you know, what I would think are required reading for intelligence professionals, just ways to help out.
0: All right, everyone, there you have it. Episode 0 is in the books and thank you again so much for listening. We, you know, we hope we provided a decent preview of what's to come moving forward. We're looking forward to an exciting episode number 1 and until next time, stay safe and we'll talk to you all soon. Thank you.